thought it'd be appropriate to begin the new year with a message, a lesson about time. Let's talk about time here uh, this morning. Wisdom wears a watch. It's the title of our message today. I want to look at some passages of Scripture that will teach us concerning the best use of the time that God has given us. And on that note, um, I would like to share with you something that uh, I'm going to be doing this year. I've found this on a site called the Gospel Coalition. Uh, there are so many different ways to read through the Bible in a year, and I've used several different uh, plans. And the plan that I'm going to be using this year, and I'd invite you to join me with this, uh, is uh, found on this Gospel Coalition website. And if you can go there. If things get slow in the message over the next few minutes, why just Google that on your phone, and maybe you can get in today's reading, you know? So, I don't know. But um, anyway... This is a sample of maybe what one page looks like. It, it's uh, um, a devotional thought, and then it's followed by uh, basically four different chapters from various parts of the Bible. So there's uh, just some interesting places uh, that you would go to throughout your Bible reading, and there's a reading from Genesis, and then one from the book of Ezra, uh, Matthew, Acts, that would be for today's reading. Some of you uh, may be thinking, well, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm already five days behind. Don't worry about that. Just, just don't worry about that. Just pick it up where it goes. And if you, what you can do is uh, you can sign up on their site, and they'll just send you the devotional each day, and you can have it on your phone. And also, as you can see, there's a, a section for uh, audio. So it, you can either read it or you can have it, have it read uh, uh, if you'd like. So I'm going to be going through that, and uh, I invite you to join me with that, and maybe if there's something meaningful for you in these readings that you want to communicate with me about, I'd, I'd be happy to hear from you know, your experience through this, and you can just send me an email, uh, just randy at windsorroad.org, randy at windsorroad.org. So if you want to grow in Christ this year, how can I grow in Christ this year? Here it is. Listen up. Read your Bible. You, you, you will grow in Christ when you read your Bible. It, it, you just will. So, And here is a way to apply that um, life-changing truth. Amen? Amen. Wisdom wears a watch. So to that end, I want to share with you our scripture reading today. I'm going to take uh, our readings from two passages of scripture, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Meet me there if you would, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. You'll find that on page 830 of your church Bibles. And then we're going to look at Ephesians 5. 15 to 21. We're going to read a parable, and then we're going to read, really, a commentary about that parable. Matthew 25, 1 through 13, and Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. I have the Ephesians passage um, on the scripture, uh, on the screen behind you. 
Again, Lord, I'm so grateful for your goodness. And thank you for the gift of your word. And thank you that when you speak, you do not mumble. Open our eyes that we may see the wonderful things written in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here's the bridegroom, come and meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Well, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ." This is God's word. So in the early 1950s, the National Basketball Association faced a crisis that threatened its very existence. The crisis was a low-scoring, time-killing style of play where one team would quickly jump out into the lead and then actually hold the ball until time ran out. Games dragged on. Fans thought they were sitting through a sermon. They, they were numb with boredom. Not these fans. <laughs> the lowest scoring NBA game on record took place in 1950 between the Fort Wayne Pistons and the Minneapolis Lakers. You know what the score was? 19 to 18. So one of the team's owners, a guy by the name of Daniel Bisayone, I practiced that. He was, a, he was the owner of one of the NBA teams, but he also owned a bowling alley. 
And anybody in the bowling business knows that you can't make any money holding on to the ball. So Daniel Bissioni proposed a rule change at the annual NBA owners meeting. And thus was born the shot clock. The shot clock. With the pencil and a napkin, he figured out that in the most interesting games, about 120 shots occurred over 48 minutes or 2,880 seconds. And what do you get when you divide 2,880 by 120? 24. That's right. Did you guys all know this? You're looking at me like, yeah, we know this. Really? I didn't know this. Humor me here for a minute. So the shot clock debuted the very next season and in the very first game with the new technology, huh? October 30th, 1954, the Rochester Royals beat the Boston Celtics 98 to 95. Game picked up a little bit more, right? And of course, you know, there was a period of adjustment to, for now, you know, the players kind of felt the pressure of the clock, right? And so at first it was kind of funny because the moment they touched the ball, they, they put up a shot. And so they would panic and eventually they developed a rhythm. And, and, but literally the shot clock saved the league, kept the game interesting, and it made possible one of the most entertaining and nail-biting features of basketball. The comeback. Think about it. No shot clock, no comeback. And all because a guy who had never played basketball, but he owned a team, and he also owned a bowling alley. And he knew you can't make money when you hold on to the ball. Well, thought I'd share that with you. <laughs> Enough basketball. We're here to learn the Bible. In our scripture today, in both Jesus' parable and Paul's epistle, we're informed that God is the owner of this league called life and creation. And he has a shot clock. He wants us to pay attention to the clock. He who is outside of time desires that we who live inside time pay attention to the time. Did you get that from the Ephesians passage? Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. The best use of the time. Some of your translations say, redeem the time. It's a verb that is a purchasing verb. You need to, you need to be a time bargain hunter. You need to purchase time when it's on sale. Don't ever pay retail price for time. Look for the bargain and then take advantage of it when it comes your way. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Here's the big idea for today. Be wise with time because these are bad times. 
Be wise with time, because these are bad times. The days are evil. What does Paul mean when he, when he says the days are evil? He means this. He means that evil is real, and the evil one exists, and, listen, evil is temporary. And so God's people need not fear, but rather take advantage of the opportunity while the clock is ticking down to show Christ. Be wise with the time, because these are bad times. I'm thinking of 1 Chronicles 12, 32, of the leaders of the tribe of Issachar who had understanding of the times and knew what Israel should do. I'm thinking of Moses, who wrote Psalm 90, when he prayed, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Be wise with the time, because these are bad times. Wisdom wears a watch. Wisdom is aware of God's will, which affects how we use the time. And your time is your life. When you say time and you say life, it's the same thing. And Paul's words you, uh, serve as a commentary of Jesus' parable on the ten virgins. So let's listen to Jesus uh, tell this parable, and then let's learn how Paul applies this parable for our lives today. Matthew 25, verse 1. Here it is. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now what's going on here? Is a groom getting ready to marry ten brides? No. No, Jesus is painting a very familiar scenario to his audience. He's talking about a wedding. The word virgins is another way of saying bridesmaids or attendants to the bride. They are young, unmarried women. First century weddings in Israel involved an engagement followed by a ceremony and then a week-long feast. And so this parable talks about the events leading up to the ceremony. And back then, the groom went to go get the bride on the day of the wedding. He would go to her home and then escort her back to his place for the ceremony and the feast. And what's going on here is that the bride then sends out her friends, her attendants to go meet the groom on his way. And Matthew tells us it's night. And so they take torches or lamps with them. What a spectacle. Think about that. It's this ten glowing lamps and this celebration that's about ready to occur, this anticipation, this entourage, this feast. And all of it begins when the groom appears. What's the implication? There's a clock. There's a clock. Oh, if only it were a 24-second clock. But here in the parable, you know, they don't know when he'll come. They don't know when the ceremony will start. They don't know when the feast will commence. They just know he's coming. That fact is for sure. And that's the most important fact. Not when, but that. 
So five of the young ladies brought extra batteries. Five had thermos jars full of oil in case they had to wait. Five did. Five did not. Five were wise. Five were foolish. The foolish ones had the outer form of religion, but no internal power. And the night was long, and they all dozed off. And right in the middle of deep REM, they heard this loud cry. They were startled awake. He's here. He's here. And all of them started to fix their lamps. And, and the wise women quickly refilled their lamps with the oil that they had brought in their jars. Verse 7 says, they trimmed their lamps. See that? The unwise realized that they were out. And so they panicked. They, they said to the wise, quick, quick. I mean, you know, give, give, us, give us of yours. Hurry, he's coming. Uh, awkward. Uh, no. Uh, no, there's not enough for us. I mean, no, no, you're going to have to go to the store and buy some. <coughs> well, they scrambled off. You know what happens next, right? The groom shows up. The five wise women, they hold out their lamps and the party is starting and they're parading this, this bridegroom all throughout the night and he gets his bride and they dance, dance, dance all their way to his estate and doors fling open and, and, and guests flood in and the, the wise women enter and the groom goes last and he turns back See if anybody else wants to come in. Okay. And the door, verse 10, the door was shut. Bang. And you know what happened right after that, right? The unwise women scamper about and they show up on the scene and you know their their hands are messy and the lamps are dripping from the oil they've been rushing about they've got the oil all over their clothes and you know they're they're kind of rushing about and 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 they're you know banging on the door let us in let us in lo we're here let us in we can start now and and on the other side of the door the other side of the door they hear these words, words which would have shocked the original hearers of this parable. Well, who are you? I don't know you. No, really. Really. I don't know you. Silence. End of parable. Now, what, what, what just happens here, right? That's, well, okay, this is a story, but what, okay, what's going on here? In this, listen, so this parable appears in a context of Matthew 24 and 25. So it shows up in a section of teaching that Jesus is giving. Jesus, it's not long before his death, and Jesus gives not only this parable, but 
other parables surrounding it, he's giving this as a way to view the world, as a lens through which we interpret life. A way to see what's happening and a way to understand it so that we can understand what the Lord's will is. And so the, the parable serves as a lens, as a framework. And here's the framework. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation. Jesus is saying that you and I have been put here in this world. We are created for a marriage relationship with God. To relate to him, to love him, to be loved by him. You're not here by accident. You're not here by some random cosmic explosion. You're here by the will and power of a loving heavenly father who made heaven and earth, who wants you to have life through his son. Creation, fall. Our spiritual ancestors, Adam and Eve, created to possess a marriage relationship with the God of this universe cheated on God on the honeymoon. That's Genesis chapter 3. Creation, fall. That fall has affected and broken every part of the world and every part of our lives. Creation, fall, redemption. Our God is a God of grace and mercy, and he has said about to redeem and repair that which is broken. And so he started working through a family, Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 12. And then that family became a nation, Israel. And that nation pr produced a betrothed king. Jesus is a betrothed king. Jesus is an engaged king. And soon he will be a married king. And his betrothed bride is the people of God, the people who trust him, chosen from every tribe and tongue and nation, the church. And our betrothed king came for the first time 2,000 years ago to die for his bride, to, to pay a dowry, as it were, with his own blood. And he will come again to marry her and take us his church, into the gardens and chambers of his love and joy forever. What Jesus is saying is that our destiny is a wedding banquet feast like none we've ever known. And that's the point of your life. You know, when I was young, younger, I used to be the youngest person at this church. You know? I did. It's hard to believe, isn't it? But when I was younger, you know, when I was younger, and maybe this is true of you, I, you know, I used to say things like, well, you know, how old do I have to be in order to? How old do I have to be in order to? When can I? And I don't ask those questions anymore. Right? Oh, I'm 18. Now I can. Oh, I'm 21. Now I can. Uh, you know, these days, that's not what I'm asking. These days, I'm asking, well, how much time do I have left? Right? You know, these days I'm saying things like, well, if we're going to do it, we better do it now. <laughs> right? Because you see, when I, when I was young, I, I thought, well, I'm the point. I'm the point. And as I aged, I 
painfully begin to realize, well, I'm not the point. And if I'm not the point, then what's the point? And Jesus says in this parable, here's the point. Jesus says, I'm the point. Jesus is the point. The point is life forever with me in a celebratory feast that goes on forever. And get this, each moment of the feast is better than the previous moment. Now, I want to go to that party, don't you? Where it just keeps getting better. This party keeps getting better and better. It doesn't drag on. It's like, wow, it's more interesting. It's more thrilling. It's more loving. It's more wonderful. Revelation 19.7 says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Revelation 21 says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. There shall be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. Anybody had a death here in the past year? Anybody experienced sorrow? tears and gut-wrenching heartache, the kind that makes you wonder if God really exists? Anybody? When C.S. Lewis's wife died, he said, the death of a beloved is, is an amputation. And to this pain, Jesus promises celebratory joy a wedding feast that will heal all that evil has amputated. Body, mind, and spirit, it's coming. Revelation 21.5 says, Behold, I am making all things new. This certainty then calls us to a state of wise, watchful readiness. That's why the parable concludes with, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Wise, watchful readiness. Now, what, what does that look like? It looks like this. Wise, watchful readiness. It's an attitude. It's a commitment. It's a lifestyle. Readiness is a hopeful attitude. It's an outlook that no matter what's going on, no matter how uncertain life seems, no matter what happens in the, in the coming 12 months. In the end, Christ is in control. So when I get news that I don't want to hear, like cancer, like job elimination, like loss of life, yes, it stings. Yes. Admit that. Acknowledge that. Yes, it stings. And Christ is sovereign over the sting. Hopeful attitude. Hopeful attitude, long-term commitment. The, the oil in this parable speaks to the importance of endurance, sustainability. Uh, in another parable, a parable called the parable of the sower, Jesus talked about a sower who sowed seeds. Some of the seeds fell on great soil, and I mean it just flourished. 
But other seed fell on rocky soil, and it, it sprouted, and it quickly grew, but it wasn't rooted. And so when the cool morning gave way to the afternoon heat, that little plant withered. It could not withstand the intensity, unsustainable. The unwise women did not have a supply of oil to sustain them on the long journey of faith. Now they had shiny lamps, but it was like a candle without a fire. And maybe someone is thinking at this point, well, you know, why didn't, why didn't the wise ones share? I thought we were supposed to share. All right, I understand. That's not the point of this parable. It's not. Some things can't be shared. Those of you who are teachers, you know this. Do you want your students doing homework for your other students? I'm not getting an amen on that. <laughs> but that's really what we're looking at here. Some things can't be shared. And, and the unwise women, they were thinking, well, we'll just borrow from the prepared. Look, you cannot ask someone to be responsible for that which you are responsible. And I can show you a reading plan and invite you to join me, but I can't read your Bible for you. And I can pray for you, but I can't do your praying for you. And I can show you Christ, but I can't do your believing for you. See? It's a long-term commitment. It's a hopeful attitude. It's a long-term commitment. And then readiness is a spirit-led lifestyle. That's what Paul was getting at in Ephesians 5 when he said, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, rather than being under the influence of that which when over-consumed will dull your senses and alertness. Fill yourselves with he who will sharpen your senses and clarify your vision so that you can see the world as God sees the world. And specifically, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, he defines the spirit-filled life. Did you notice that? In verses 19 to 21 of Ephesians 5, Paul defines the spirit-filled life with these verbs. Addressing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making music. See, that's evidence of the spirit-led life. Giving thanks and submitting to one another. All in loving Christian community. Hopeful attitude, long-term commitment, spirit-led lifestyle. That's readiness. Watchful readiness. Now, here's the deal. Huh. Question. When did it become clear that the wise were wise and the foolish were foolish? That's when the door shut. Yeah, that's right. When the groom appeared and the door shut. Until then, you could assume that the foolish were wise and the Wives were foolish for hauling all that extra oil, right? For what? Well, the groom will wait for us. He can plan around our schedule. Isn't that presumptuous? I mean, 
Right now, in the eyes of the world, we Orthodox Christians look like stupid fools. You know, we believe that there is a seen world and an unseen world. We believe that this is a created world. We believe that God, who created all that, that is seen and unseen, stepped into this world from his world in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And we hold that this Jesus died and rose bodily and that he gave us his spirit who empowers us to live distinctively. And we desire to care for God's creation. We pray that governments do justice and love mercy and walk humbly before the Lord. We hold to antiquated views about marriage and sexuality. And we believe that true tolerance is speaking civilly and acting courteously to those with whom we disagree. We believe in miracles. We give a crazy amount of money to nourish the congregation spiritually, to support missionaries, to minister to both body and soul, to give to the under-resourced. We pray and sing to one we cannot see. And we read words from a book that we call holy and sacred. And all the while, the world is saying to us, well, this is just a myth. It's just a myth. It's just a myth. It's just your truth. No wonder Paul says the days are evil. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And that power is what fuels our lamps. And that power is what helps us endure and persevere. And that power sustains us, hear me, that power sustains us so that when Christ finally comes, we're not surprised or scrambling about. I fear that some of us will take home the point, well, the preacher said that, uh, you know, we need to live in such a way so that when Christ comes, look busy. <laughs> no. No, that's not what I'm saying because the, all of them fell asleep, right? Because we just get tired, we go to sleep. You know, in other words, we'll, Live in such a way so that when Christ comes, we're not scrambling about. We're, we're just, all right, I'm working on my sermon, or I'm working on a, a PhD, or I'm working on a project, or, I'm, or maybe a new house of worship is me. What, all of the, or, I'm, or I'm doing you fill in the blank, and it's just an ordinary life. And so that when Christ comes, I can set it down and go. Because whatever I leave here is, is, is cardboard compared to what's coming. That's what I'm saying. That's what this is saying. And so when Christ comes, some of you, some, you don't, please don't walk out here saying, okay, I need, to find a, I need to find a Christian retreat place so when Christ comes, I'll feel better about that. That's not the point. Some of you may be pushing out your garbage tote to the curbside when Christ comes. Huh? Right? Some of you might be in a classroom. Some of you might be changing your baby's diaper. Oh, thank you, Jesus, you came, right? <laughs> right? Uh, you know, so, some, of you, so, some of you will have just left the bed of a loved one who has passed on into eternity, and Christ comes in. See? Jesus says, you, you be ready. You be ready. Because... And I'm going to close this sermon the way Jesus closed his parable, with a challenge. 
One day the door will shut. And you don't want to be on the wrong side of the door when Christ comes. You see, he said he didn't know them because he was merely ratifying their decision, their foolishness. And he ended up just confirming their verdict with these shocking words, I don't know you. So don't miss the party. Be wise with the time. Because the times are bad. <laughs>